electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach, and put this in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, you wouldn't know it from the sedate action. The average is down, advancing 62 points. This will be edging down 0.04%. NASDAQ declined 0.25%. But this is starting to feel a little bit like a Kenny Loggins market. Yep, we're on, I'm going to say it, the highway to the danger zone. All right, overly dramatic, I know. But you know what? I watch froth. Okay, froth really matters to me. In a frothy market, stocks will have enormous rallies that are totally disconnected from the underlying fundamentals. You get enough of these moves, and you have to take something off the table. Because just like when you pour yourself a beer, the froth doesn't last. It's a sign that people are getting too greedy. Remember, I always have said it from 16 years now. Bulls make money, okay? Bears make money. But hogs, they get slaughtered. And right now, this market's starting to stink of pork. What's got me so peeved? Well, let's go over it. Right, first of all, is it really that hard? The SPACs, especially the celebrity SPACs. These supposedly can't-miss ideas are becoming embarrassing, frankly. Michael Semblis, the brilliant chairman of Market Investment Strategy at J.P. Morgan, wrote a devastating critique of this group earlier this week about the economics of these special-purpose acquisition companies that you're all playing in. If you start a SPAC, you're golden. If you buy a SPAC as an insider, you'll do fine. But as it kicks down the road, the food chain, it turns less and less valuable. Aside from a few superstars like Virgin Galactic and DraftKings, the public investors aren't getting particularly good returns already from these things, at least relative to other assets, and it's going to go bad. And those are the good SPACs. These SPACs merge with startups, allowing them to raise cash and come public without an IPO. But the best merchandise has already been snapped up. There are only so many great electric vehicle plays. The SPAC cycle is just like an IPO cycle that I always tell you about. The best ones come first to get you involved. And over time, they get steadily worse and then worse and then worse. And I got to tell you, there is no break in sight. 
Like I told you last week, the whole SPAC complex feels like one big bad inside joke, where celebrities who've never really run a business in their lives are pulling down big bucks, hunting for some takeover targets that will keep the frothometer spinning. Today I heard about a SPAC for flying cars. Hey guys, pigs can fly too. Second sign of froth? Cannabis. All right, here we go again. Didn't we watch this overhyped industry blow up once already? Sure, it could potentially be legalized. Maybe the financial regulations will get less punishing. It'd be uh, more credit, less cash. But none of that's a sure thing. And these stocks have become ridiculously valued overnight. I have been right. I still believe in canopy growth. Though only because it has a terrific parent in Constellation Brands. And it can make great taste, no-filling cannabis drinks at scale like none of the other companies. Most of these weed plays are destined to be nobodies. But it doesn't matter right now because they're all connected by the same ETFs and they're all heavily shorted and it's just one after another flying crazy. And that's part of what is the next cohort that I don't like, the short squeeze stocks. The ones that get pushed out because we've got a, a whole new exciting generation, exciting, of marauders out there looking for any stock with a high short interest, even if it's part of an arbitrage bed, meaning it's not even going to work. The pot stocks qualify for this treatment, too. If they can turn into a meme, then they think they can take it to the moon. Yes, it's novel. It's interesting. Except for I've seen it a lot, and it's not novel. It goes bad. What's causing the froth? I could blame the Fed. Everybody wants to do that, right? All the free money we're expecting from the stimulus, another blame. Or the excitement about reopening once everyone's vaccinated. And that is a big deal since I did get vaccinated today. I want to thank the great people of Staten Island for allowing me to get vaccinated. The truth is, it doesn't matter why it's happening. I just want you to acknowledge that some parts of this market are at truly insane, absurd levels. Because I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't point this stuff out. And I didn't want to do this piece. It's a really great day. And I didn't want to stand here and tell you, you know what? I'm getting nervous. So what do you got to do about it? Well, first, you got to stand. We've had nearly 11 months of incredible gains. And nobody wants to leave the tables when they're this hot. Nobody wants to hear some old codger like me tell you that profits don't count until you ring the register. I know you don't want to hear it. Or that these kinds of returns are an anomaly. You don't want to hear that. The kind of thing that sucks you in and never lets you go because it's so darn intoxicating. You don't want to leave because it's the money tree. And you want to climb it. You don't want me pulling down it. You don't want me yanking you from the money tree. Already, I can practically hear some of you saying, he wants me to leave? He's got all kinds of money himself, that guy? And he wants me to cash out? What's his angle? All right, listen, there's no angle. I've been in this game for 40 years. I've seen this before. Whenever we're given these red-hot periods, they're impossible to resist, and they always last longer than any of the grizzled veterans thought possible. I think it's going to keep, keep going on, but eventually it doesn't. And you've got to be ready. You know why so many people lost money in the dot-com collapse 20 years ago and then never came back? Because there was new merchandise created every day that was sizzling and exciting and it went up almost dramatically. Because there were companies with no earnings or sales, just eyeballs. I used to call them the ophthalmological wonders. Because a huge part of that market had divorced itself from the fundamentals, or there were no fundamentals to begin with. At the height of the dot-com period, we're talking here between 1999 and 2000, 330 companies came public. And only a handful of them managed to survive. I know. I started a survivor company during that period. I was stunned that something like 97% of my colleagues who did companies then failed for stuff that was loved just a few months before. So you got to be careful when it gets this frothy. But, and this is crucial, I am not saying get out now. I am not saying sell everything. I am simply begging you to exercise some discipline and sell something because nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. I don't want you to sell everything because, first of all, it's an excellent setup, as they like to say. 
Sure, the unemployment rate is way too high and COVID's still out of control, even if the numbers are coming down and we're doing much better with the vaccine rollout. However, those negatives are the reasons why the Federal Reserve won't raise interest rates. That means both the Fed and the tape, the action, are on the side of the bulls. It's not even worth fighting yet. I'm just trying to say that you're not a genius if you've made 50 percent in a month or a week or even a day. You're simply participating in one nutty, unsustainable moment of a part of this stock market. It's not you, people. It's the beast that's making the money, which is why you got to take something off the table. Second, just like in 2000, there's a whole other market that's not reasonably. Let's say there's a whole other market that's actually reasonably valued. Let's do that. I'm not always going to say cheap, but it's good. When I was getting my second shot today in a tent in Staten Island, fabulous operations leader spotted that it was my birthday. The staff broke out with a spontaneous, rousing happy birthday song. The tears of happiness were this close. They were this close. They're about to flow. So the guy behind me goes, hey, Kramer, uh, I, I never miss you. What do you think of Merck? I said, I don't know, Merck. I mean, it sells it's 12 times earnings. It doesn't have a lot of growth, 3.5% yield. And I said, I, he says, but you want me to stick with the J&J? I said, no, I like the J&J, but how about the Bristol Myers? Eight times earnings, 3.3 yield. He said, I don't know. I said, well, how about Walmart? Getting happy. Walmart. Got his app out. He says, yeah, I got to get some Walmart. You know what? That's okay. That's still a good conversation. It's reassuring when people ask me about steady eddy drug companies and uh, not the froth that hasn't gotten too insane. And that's that's a good conversation. But when they tap me and say, hey, Kramer, how about the flying car stocks? How about space tourism? We're getting out. The reasonable market is still in charge right now. But sooner or later, at that pace, it's going to change too. Bottom line. Yes, you have to make hay when the sun shines. I want you to do that. Just remember, stocks ultimately are pieces of paper. And Wall Street will keep printing out those pieces of paper until the buyers run out of firing power, at which point the buyers will be steamrolled. We are not there yet. We are not. But if there's one takeaway from the froth meter, we are most certainly headed in that direction. I need to go to Rob in Pennsylvania. Rob. Booyah, Jimbo, coming at you from Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. The wow. stock ticker I want to talk to you about today is stock ticker UTZ, a good old Pennsylvania brand, Utz Brands, potato chips and all that good stuff. Okay, uh, so here's the deal. Utz, Utz is one of the few SPACs that became a real company, all right? They went and they bought this great company. It's a regional brand. Utz, you like them, I like them. I've been recommending it since they came on the show at 13. It's now a double, and I am not leaving because that's a good one. I need to get a Carl in Michigan. Carl. Booyah, Jim. I recently bought a position in Porch.com. The stock closed today about two and a half points up. Want to know your overall sentiment on the company. And what do you think about the recent acquisition of marketing and data services company G12? Well, you know, I thought that Matt did a, Matt, Matt, I thought he did a great job when he was on the show. Uh, I think he has a terrific story. I like Porch very much. That's why I brought it back. Remember, we had them on before they were public. I think they're doing the right thing in an economy where so many people are moving. Zillow, a great number today. That product is a useful product. We are going to stay tough on these guys because a lot of these stocks have moved up a lot. But I am determined to keep you... In view of where we are in the fourth meter and the danger zone, because we are on a highway to the danger zone. Not yet. Not yet. You can keep playing. But how about taking someone off just for me, okay? Do it for me and the great people of Staten Island who got me my second Moderna. I'm having it tonight. Talking with an investment with Mattel. I'm sitting down with the CEO after earnings to find out what that's all about. Then the latest social media sensation, silver. I'll tell you why the Murray men of Reddit missed the mark. Uh-oh, don't crush me. When it comes to the precious metal. And with more people getting vaccinated, including myself, businesses are increasingly outlining their return to work plans, or lack thereof. Could the work from home environment have a lasting impact on the data center? I'm going to talk with the CEO of a stock that's kind of stalled, Juniper. You might like it. Stay with Kramer. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Last night, we got a terrific quarter from Mattel. That's the iconic toy maker. Oh, cool. What happens to the stock? No kidding. It actually finished down 2%. Because this was a tepid day where money managers found it hard to get excited. They're too worried about the Reddit crew aggressively bidding up the cannabis stocks. But make no mistake, Mattel's doing great. CEO Enon Kreis has orchestrated a magnificent turnaround here. And last time, we got yet another confidence-inspiring quarter. The company reported a top and bottom line beat with bullish guidance for 2021. In response, stock actually spiked 3% in early trading. We're getting dragged down by the ennui, is what I'm calling it, of the rest of the market. So could this really have more room to run? Let's take a closer look with Elon Christ. He's the turnaround artist, chairman, and CEO of Battelle. You get a better read on these results. Mr. Christ, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. It's great to be here. Enon, you are a man of your word. Uh, when things weren't doing well, you said things weren't doing well. When things got down very low, you said things were starting to get better. This was the finest fourth quarter in 15 years, despite a worldwide pandemic. How did you do it? Yes, Jim, this was an exceptional quarter for Mattel with our best performance in years, with strong consumer demand and another milestone year for the company. For the second quarter in a row, we achieved double-digit sales growth. We outpaced the industry and gain share on a global basis. But, you know, our results exceeded expectation on many levels, with the highest fourth quarter growth in 15 years, as you said, with a significant increase in profitability, with a full year operating income that was two and a half times higher than than last year. But this is not just about the quarter or the year. It's about a multi-year strategy that is tracking very well, which puts us in a strong position to continue to increase profitability and accelerate our growth uh, in 2021 and beyond. What I liked about it, uh, these were all fantastic numbers, but you told me one day, Jim, this company, which has terrible cash flow, 
can make fortunes on everything that it does put out. So when Barbie has a, a plus 18 percent quarter, number one toy property globally in 2020, not doll, but boy, you're making a lot more money off each Barbie, even though they're more interesting, fascinating, diverse and inclusive than any other lineup that, you, that I've ever seen. That's right. We made significant progress in improving our profitability. Our gross margin has increased for the 10th consecutive quarter. And this is only uh, getting better and stronger in terms of cash flow. If you look at the journey that we've achieved over the last three years, our gross margin improved by over 1,100 points. Our cash flow improved by almost $500 million. And our operating income is up more than $650 million. So very strong performance on the bottom line. And we're making good progress on the top line as well. This was the second quarter in a row where we improved our top line by, you know, double digit. You know, you're making it look easy. There was a time when you and I first met where I looked at your balance sheet and I questioned your, your not not your visibility, your viability. The viability is certainly taken off the table. The visibility is taken off the table. At this point, I now have to wonder, you've got this great balance sheet now. I mean, it really is. You've delevered. You have the number one products in the industry. You have American Girl Turnaround. Is it time to do something even more huge, something the entertainment industry that you used to be king of? Come on. Well, our free cash flow has steadily improved over the last three years. We went from a negative $325 million in 2017 to a positive $167 million this year. Going forward, we will be focused on converting an even increasing percentage of our EBITDA into free cash flow. And as we previously stated, we intend to utilize excess cash to uh, reduce our debt and improve our balance sheet even further. Uh, Given the uh, expectation for a higher EBITDA uh, and more utilization of cash, we, uh, we expect to uh, uh, continue to reduce our leverage ratio and uh, make our way towards uh, an investment-grade uh, rating. Well, I want the 11 films in development. I want the 17 shows in TP production. I want grandkids, first of all, and then grandkids to watch your stuff. Yeah, this is very exciting. We recently made exciting announcements with Mattel Film and Mattel Television. We're launching an Uno live action film, uh, another motion picture, uh, there's an Uno game show, a Whack-A-Mole game show, Thomas and Friends, All Engine Go, a new series will launch on Netflix and uh, Cartoon Network this year. To date, we made announcement for 11 films under the Mattel Films banner. There are 17 television shows in production and 25 shows in development. This is part of our mid to long term strategy. These projects uh, take time given the scale and the ambition, but we are well underway in putting them in place. And, you know, in success, this can be transformative. We're very excited. One last thing. Uh, I want you to tell people how important you told me you would do this, that you had Barbie look like the world, not the way of the world that you and I grew up in, but the world. That's right. Barbie has done phenomenally well on many levels. But more than anything, it's about brand purpose, design led innovation, active uh, demand creation and cultural relevance. Barbie Uh, has been on a multi-year journey. It's about diversity, inclusivity, and purposeful play, uh, involving body shapes, um, and all the things that we care uh, so much about. Uh, What's important to say is that when you look at the success of Barbie, there's a lot to be proud of, but this is really about the Mattel playbook, because the same approach, the same methodology, the same capabilities, in many cases, the same people that are working on Barbie, uh, all of these capabilities are being applied 
across our entire product offering. Well, and with that, we're very confident about the overall uh, proposition of Mattel and the entire portfolio. Well, you have done a remarkable job and you've exceeded everything you said you would do. I doubt it because I thought that balance sheet was too difficult and the project too hard. I was wrong. You've been right and you stay right. Enon Cries, chairman and CEO of Mattel. Fabulous job, sir. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you. This is a winner. And Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, this week's chartist might have a silver bullet that will make your portfolio howl in happiness. Kramer goes off the charts. Next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, I know you've heard a lot about these meme stocks, GameStops, AMCs, and a bunch of Reddit posters temporarily sent into the stratosphere by engineering a kind of brilliant short squeeze a couple of weeks ago. But what about, and I know I get a lot of texts and emails about this, the meme commodities. After the initial success, some of these younger traders try to do the same thing to silver, something we usually think of as an asset for old people who want to hide their money under their beds. You expect millennials on social media to be pushing up stuff like Dogecoin, that cryptocurrency explicitly created as a joke based on a funny dog meme. Oh, must love. Suddenly, though, the youngest investors join in with the oldest ones to bid up the price of silver. Yes, the other precious metal in hopes of engineering a GameStop-style short squeeze. But it didn't work. Silver spiked from $25 an ounce to around $30 at its peak a week and a half ago. And then it quickly pulled back. Now it's only at 27 So why couldn't they pull it off with silver if they did it with GameStop? And what the heck do you do with this precious metal now? All right, we want to get a handle on the silver situation. So we've got to be a little unemotional. We're going to go off the charts with Carly Garner. She's that brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading. She's the author of one of the easiest books I've ever read on commodities called Higher Probability Commodity Trading. And, of course, she's our resident commodities expert. So, first off, why couldn't the merry men of Reddit engineer a short squeeze in silver? Because that playbook only works under certain specific circumstances like we saw in cannabis today, GameStop, AMC. Those things were forgotten stocks. No one believed it. They had a set of numbers of shares. Tons of these shares have been shorted in GameStop and AMC. Silver is nothing at all like that. It's a global asset. When prices go up, the miners just increase production. 
More importantly, you can't get a short squeeze unless the asset in question is heavily shorted. When there aren't many short sellers, most nobody to squeeze, for heaven's sake. I want you to take a look at this monthly chart of silver futures with the CFTC's commitments of traders data on the bottom. That's called the COT report, okay? It's commitments of traders. Garner loves this commitments of traders. It's made us a lot of money because it tells you exactly how major categories of market participants are positioned. You've got the commercial hedgers, companies and business that actually deal in silver, you know, in jewelers. So they buy or sell futures to protect themselves. Then you've got the small speculators, and those are in blue, okay? Not really consequential, but it's home gamers, including the Reddit people. Uh, that's what, to, you know, it's okay to be a home gamer. I'm a home gamer, you're a home gamer. And then there's what really matters to the price, the green line. And this green line, this is what we're going to be talking about. That's large speculators. They are the ones who are in control of the market. They're big money managers who have positions in silver as a profession. Garner notes that these money managers were net long the silver futures when all this kicked off. Net long. They had it. So you can see they owned it. Same goes for small speculators. Again, you're not going to see a short squeeze in an asset that is so well liked. There's, you're not betting against anybody. But even though the short squeeze thesis fell apart, Garner does say the spike in silver wreaked havoc on traders who were caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. If you sold, for instance, call options on silver the weekend prior, you were put in a very tough situation. Remember, a call option gives you the right to buy something at a given price. When you sell that option, you're the one who has to sell it at that price. That's why it's incredibly risky to sell call options when you don't own the underlying security. I please urge you not to do that. If the price takes off, you could be forced to buy it at much higher levels. The losses can be astonishing. When silver spiked to $30, some of these option sellers decided to hedge by buying some silver underneath. So when the price later came down, though, then they got burned there. Some people made a lot of money if they had the right options and got in and got out exactly at the right time. But that's not what mad money's about, and that's not what I'm about. That's too risky. We're not going to do that stuff. So what's next for silver? Check out the daily chart. Garner points out that the precious metal briefly broke out above its 45-degree trading range. That's channeled right here during its big rally over the summer. See, it had a, it, this was a huge breakout for silver. And then listen to me. By the way, she told you silver was due for one last leg. Do you remember that? At the higher end of July, there it was. But then she said you had to sell. That was another great call she made. Exactly right. When silver became a meme trade, though, the price revisited the summer peak. Gotcha, right? And Garner wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't happen again some point. The trading range points here higher, okay? And the relative strength index, an important momentum indicator, it's still pointing higher without being an oversold territory. So the RSI is still in good position. If if it were, you know, we don't want it to get too crazy, but right now it's still okay. And she thinks that all of these together add up to being able to make it so that we will see 31 in the not-too-distant future. So there's your price target, 31 for silver. However, Garner doubts the bulls will have the firepower to break out above 31. Now, if she's wrong and that does happen, she does expect one last spike to the mid-30s. More likely, though, she thinks you get a double-top formation between 30 and 32, and then followed by a retreat to 22. So here's what we're going to do. Let's zoom out to the monthly chart. This just gives you a little bit more perspective. In the COVID collapse last March, silver went all the way down to 12. And that's where it started its rally. And it climbed all the way to 30 in August, a remarkable run, before cooling off and dipping to the low and mid-20s last month. Similar to the daily chart, the monthly relative strength index is still pointing higher. 
Again, Garner believes that a retest of the $30 highs could be in the cards. You meme followers, you think she, she thinks you're going to get 30 As she sees it, Silver's third trip to 30 in less than a year could see a good amount of, of breakout buying. We'll probably be talking about a lot, which is why she's still using that $31 price target that we had on the other page. If the ceiling resistance at 31 holds, though, Garner expects Silver to retreat sharply. Sharply. If we get a breakout, the monthly chart suggests you go to 35 or 36 before running out of steam. But unless something crazy happens, it's very hard for her to imagine silver above 36. During the debt crisis ceiling problems, uh, U.S. Treasuries got downgraded because Congress was debating whether to default on our bills for no particular reason. A lot of investors flocked to hard assets. So the silver futures did spike to 50 bucks. This was that whole debt ceiling S&P downgrade problem. But she doesn't think we're going to see that again. On the flip side, Garner notes that silver is not just a store of value of a component for jewelry. It's also used in, in technology, especially, by the way, in electric cars. Thanks to that demand, she says price, price might never revisit its old lows, around 10. But 20 could be in the cards, maybe sooner than expected if the precious metal can't maintain its momentum. One last point. The dollar's been hammered over the last year, but Garner sees it rebounding, given that the U.S. Treasury yields are back to being very attractive versus foreign government bonds. That's a contrarian position. But if she's right, a stronger greenback again is bad for silver. The bottom line, let silver teach you a lesson. The merry men can't engineer a short squeeze when there aren't enough shorts, although they can play havoc with the options market. Still, the charts as interpreted by Carly Garner suggest that silver might have a little more room to run unless we get a sharp upturn in the dollar. And then you know what? You can forget about it and move on to the next meme. Let's go to Robert in Texas. Robert. Hi. Uh, what do you think about Lithium America's Corporation? Simple L-A-C. Jeez, you're the That's second invested. person to ask me in the last 24 hours about that company. And I came back and I said, look, it is, it's just still one more way that people want to play Elon Musk and EV, society that chemical from Chile, same thing. It is a commodity. And I don't trust these commodities right now because neither you, Robert, nor I can have an edge in lithium Americas. So I am saying in this particular case, I don't want you to do nothing. The charts suggest silver may have more room to run. And you can see that. This is really good work by my friend Carly. Um, unless you know, maybe a change in the dollar. But don't, don't overstay your welcome here, please. Now, there's much more man money ahead. Is Juniper Networks configured to, to route profits directly to your portfolio? Or could the market environment short-circuit the stock that's been stuck in the 20s for ages? I'm talking with the CEO. And what do you do when you confront two national emergencies? A critical shortage of manufacturing and a high unemployment rate at the same time? You listen to me, because I got the plan to tackle it. What hubris, but I know what I'm talking about. And all your calls, rapid fire, and tonight's just of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Is the global chip shortage putting the brakes on 5G's rollout? One company weighs in on how the world moves forward from here into the future of technology. Just ahead. Juniper Networks get its old groove back? The networking equipment veteran has been stuck in the 20s for a long time now. Juniper spent years struggling with one thing after another, slowdown in service provider business. That happened to Cisco, too. We just in China, thanks to the trade war, while well, many others have had that. Then general uncertainty and supply chain disruptions caused by the pandemic, and that's front and center. But lately, Juniper's been turning things around. They've stabilized the service provider business. They've got new growth opportunities thanks to the 5G build-out and the need for more hardware to support the cloud. Plus, the company's made a series of software-as-a-service acquisitions. Those are very lucrative, which should give them a competitive edge. 
Now, when Juniper reported late last month, they gave you a modest top and bottom line beat with solid guidance for the current quarter. Manager believes they can start growing again this year, something we should hear about more at their very big analyst meeting on Friday. i got to tell you, I like Juniper's risk reward. The stock sells for just 15 times earnings with a juicy 3.15% dividend, meaning it shouldn't take much to get it rolling, but it hasn't been. So let's check in with Rami Rahim. He's the CEO of Juniper Networks to get a better sense of the story before he talks to the professionals on Friday. Nice preview here. Mr. Rahim, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be back, Jim, especially on your birthday. So happy birthday to you. (laughs) Thank you, Rami. Thank you so much. So I think you can lay out a story that I think is going to get a lot of people's attention because you're going more toward a software business, which is recurring, and we love that, because of 5G. And frankly, because you've got products that are proving to be incredibly important in an, in an augmented reality or, and also in an artificial, artificial intelligence way that I think our audience doesn't know about. So maybe you can share some of the preview of what you're going to be talking on Friday. Absolutely. Well, first, I want to say that we wrapped up a really solid 2020 Our enterprise business was a record year for us. Q4 grew 7% year over year, despite the challenges that the pandemic posed for us. Our cloud provider business grew for the full year. Even our service provider orders were up all year. So in fact, I think we're, we're firing on all cylinders right now. We've created a really solid base for ourselves with our worldwide service provider footprint. And now we've built two additional growth vectors for the company, the data center and the AI driven enterprise both of which are software-led. And I think our differentiation, the technology we have here, is honestly second to none. I'm very excited about this year and the years to come. I think as a preview of what you're going to get at the analyst event that's happening on Friday is sustainable growth as a result of this experience-first strategy that we're executing on, Jim. Well, let's use an example. Our viewers are very familiar with ServiceNow through a series of CEOs whom we have loved and enjoyed and had on the show. You've had some incredible, uh, incredible performance with ServiceNow that might explain to people why your products can be essential. So ServiceNow is a fantastic customer and a great partner of ours. If you think about the real value that AI can bring to the end user, ServiceNow is a wonderful example. What we're doing with our AI-driven enterprise solution is essentially having the network run itself, leveraging AI to make the experience of the network operator and the end user far better. With ServiceNow, we were able to crush the number of network trouble tickets that they see on a day-to-day basis by 90%. That frees up the, the time of the IT professionals that are working at ServiceNow. And of course, it delights the end users that are using the network for a variety of different use cases and applications. Well, okay, so all of these are good and they're exciting. And I really do love anything you do that is software that has better margins. But what of the mosaic of the business, I know some of the business is not uh, living up to what you would like it to. There's a lot of obviously big issues in the world going on. What would make it so that you had uh, a kind of a sustained movement in many divisions that would make it so that when I read, a, say, a uh, Morgan Stanley note, which says valuation, not taxing, but few vehicles to meaningful earnings growth acceleration. I suspect you disagree with that analysis. I do. So we have to stabilize our worldwide routing footprint business. This is our automated WAN footprint. And honestly, we've done that. Just take a look at the last three quarters where we've, in fact, grown market share and we've stabilized that business. Now it's a matter of the growth vectors for our company. And we have those in the AI-driven enterprise and the cloud-ready data center. And again here, I think we've got the go-to-market team that's ready. We have best-in-class technology that's recognized by customers around the world as well as industry analysts. 
As an example of another customer, um, Zoom. Zoom is leveraging Juniper's cloud-ready data center infrastructure technology to essentially provide the services that are absolutely essential today. So I think we're firing on all cylinders, as I said, Jim, and I, I think we can achieve sustainable revenue growth starting 2021 and beyond. Now, how about the environment? You know, you, I, I'm sure we're aware we, we interviewed Chuck Robbins this morning, and it's still, because of COVID, it's an uncertain enterprise environment. I know you're doing good. You're moving aggressively in the enterprise, but the enterprise itself seems a, a tad shaky still because of COVID. Yes, but I think we're executing remarkably well in the enterprise space. I actually believe our enterprise business would be performing even better if it weren't for COVID. But the team did a fantastic job of pivoting quickly to sub-segments of the enterprise where that are most resilient to COVID-related headwinds. And the innovations that we're bringing to market around automation of private cloud and hybrid cloud, around the AI-driven enterprise with our MIST end-to-end client-to-cloud solution, are actually in and of themselves COVID-proof, they're uh, pandemic-proof. And I believe once we start to emerge from the COVID pandemic and the economic issues as a result of that, those sub-segments of the market are going to be growing the fastest, and we will capitalize on that. All right. Well, that's what we're looking for. That's a great preview. Uh, Your stock is not expensive. I've always hoped that it gets to break out. I think you've got some terrific products, and I really appreciate you sharing them with us on Mad Money. That's Rami Rahim, CEO of Juniper Networks. Always great to see you, sir. Great to see you, too. Thank Thank you. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up. It is time. Kramer takes your calls. Rapid fire. The lightning round is next. I am looking for a Dr. Kramer education here. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Mr. Kramer, it is an honor. I've been watching your show for about 10 years. Long-time, first-time, love your show, and it's time to write another book, Jimmy. I want to give a big shout-out to my dad who turned me on to you long ago. My dad turned me on to your show. Thank you for all you do. Thank you so much for everything you do. To be a grand investor, you need to break the Wall Street code. And I'm here to help. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy time for the lightning round. Let's start with JJ in your JJ. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah, JJ. My tech system, electronic verification for banking, your thoughts. It's good. It's a good company. I mean, I've always felt like, why didn't someone buy it? It's not that big. It would be better for another in another company's portfolio. But it's okay. It's in the right place. Fin FinTech, I call it. Let's go to Bob in Missouri. Bob. Um, Professor Kramer, thank you for taking my call. Oh, my pleasure. I bought, I bought, a, bought a stock in November, and it's run up pretty well. And I want to know if it's time to ring the register. Grow Generation. Grow Generation. Just booked out with a Philadelphia Eagle decision. Here's the problem. When Grow Generation came on, the stock was at 14. We had management. I really liked them. Some short sellers against them. The next day, it came out. I did the exact same piece. I said, you got to buy this stock. This may be the stock for Canada. This may be the stock. 14, 15, well, it's at 63. Ah, no, I'm not going to recommend 63. I've recommended 1450. Anybody bought it at my, at, uh, at my suggestion? I want your basis taken out tomorrow. Tomorrow morning. Let's go to Clay in Montana. Clay. Hey, happy birthday, young man. Well, thank you, sir. 
Hey, after buying Spot X and they have a $70 price target, is Magnite MGNI a buyer holder sale? No, I love, I love the Rubicon guys. I always love them. They put that thing together with that new property that from Denver. The, the, uh, it is such a good idea. Spot X, this is going to be an absolutely terrific combination. And even though the stock was down very badly today, I'm going to tell you. Bye, bye, bye. I need to go to Bill in Kansas. Bill. Hey, hello, Jim. Yeah, uh, I've got a little. I've got a little story for you, and you're 100 percent responsible for it. If you want to hear it, I, have I got time. Where am I going? I don't know. Where are you going? Uh, okay. I'm having Chipotle tonight for dinner. Why out of town? What's going on? Three years ago, on vacation, listening to your show, you talked about Qualcomm. Next morning, I pick up a few contracts. Four days later, I'm checking my my portfolio. It's up a couple. I'm uh, looking at the news, it's right. got an upgrade, it's news. Make a long story short, in 15 minutes, it was up $9 change, and I got out of the contracts, and it's 100% due to you. So uh, You're very it's kind. It's been three years, but I still wanted to thank you uh, tonight. Bill, you're very kind. And Qualcomm is a very good company. Mr. Monkoff just retired. I like you very much. The success is good. They are in the ho- they are hostage to this problem with the, with, with founders. Uh, they can't get the chips. And because of that, they're going to have to be in the penalty box for a full quarter. They will come out of it. But you go with the Skyworks solutions, not them. Because Skyworks built their own foundries and would never let themselves be hostage. That's why I like Liam Griffin so much. Fran in Pennsylvania. Fran. Hi. Hi, Fran. This is cold. Thank you. Okay. You're awesome. Thank you. Uh, Westport Teal, I want your thoughts on Westport Okay, Teal. so, you- all right, so get this. Uh, literally nine years ago this week, I was meeting with a group of truckers, and we were talking about why I didn't go to Westport and switch their engines from uh, really dirty fuel to natural gas. And they all said there's not enough there's not enough juice in the Westport engines. The Westport Cummins deal will never work. Nine years later, it finally happened because we finally reached a tipping point where people are sick and tired of really dirty oil. That said, I think it's short term, and I would not get too greedy because it's just Cummins driving it and a couple of very big companies that want those trucks. The stock's had a big run. I'm not recommending buying it at this level. Let's go to Tim in Missouri. Tim. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Happy Bo- birthday, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm a first-time caller. With many uh, people continually dumping their satellite subscriptions for these new streaming platforms, right. I wanted to hear your thoughts on the entertainment company with their Q4 earnings coming out in early March. Uh, the company is called Fubo. Oh, everybody loves Fubo. There's nothing I can do about it. I signed up for it. I dropped it immediately. It says I wanted to watch one particular game of Green Bay. I don't think I've been with anybody. A lot of people like that. I do not think. I, there are so many better stocks than that, but I know it's part of the... It is part of the YOLO ride, so I'm not going to be against it if you actually own it. And that is not. Oh, my. Yeah. Can you imagine? This is like the, great, this is like the best birthday I've ever had. I got the Moderna. New life. And I have the greatest scheme in the world. Th- thank you very much. And stick with Craig. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, what's the one thing Washington can do to put Made in America back in the fast lane? Kramer pushes his chips all in. Next. 
Booyah! Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah! Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call and everything you do for us. A long-time listener, first-time caller. After reading every book you've written five times over, I've been able to leave a traditional career at age 37 to make a full-time successful career managing my own portfolio. I've been watching yourself for about 10 years. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you so much for everything you do for us, home gamers. Just want to thank you for sharing your market knowledge. You have unquestionably impacted my approach as a serious investor. As the pandemic gradually draws to a close, we've still got two national emergencies that we have to talk about on man money. A horrendously high unemployment rate and a semiconductor shortage that's causing major problems for U.S. manufacturing and competitiveness. We need more chips and we need more jobs. So I have an idea. Why not kill two birds with one stone? It's time for our government to invest in building the biggest and most best complex of semiconductor foundries, that's the actual factories, in the world. And we can do this. Now, this kind of initiative went out of style decades ago, but we know it works because the government just did it with Operation Warp Speed, the COVID vaccine program that got us two terrific vaccines in less than a year. We're on a roll. Let's keep it up. I don't need to explain why unemployment is a national emergency, but why not solve that with a massive government-backed semiconductor foundry program? Okay, we just heard from General Motors that they have all these new in-demand vehicles, but they simply can't make enough of them because there's a semiconductor shortage. And modern cars require a lot of tech. Ford said the same thing. It could cost them $1 to $2 billion this year. Believe me, you're going to start hearing about this shortage constantly, daily, because it's wreaking havoc with all sorts of industries and making us a much less competitive and perhaps even hostage country, hostage to a bigger chip customer, the PRC. we got to get ahead of this. Now, some of this shortage is natural. Thanks to COVID, we've got millions of new homes that require a lot of hardware. We're eating these chips like they're Doritos at halftime. But some of it's geopolitical. Thanks to globalization, our semiconductor companies have been able to outsource their manufacturing, mostly to a couple of huge Asian operators, Taiwan Semi, which is now the biggest, and Samsung. These are both incredible, amazingly well-run companies. But they also get so much production capacity that they, have to, they can't. They have to supply the entire world, including voracious demand from China. That hits American companies extra hard because nearly all of our businesses run on just-in-time ordering. They don't want to sit on a lot of extra components. They just buy the chips when they need them. That's a great way to make money, save money, until there's a shortage, like now. That's where we find ourselves. Our companies can't get enough chips because there's not enough production worldwide. And that lack of chips is hurting all sorts of manufacturing, including the aforementioned GM and Ford. Now, there are two ways to approach this. We can throw up our hands and beg Samsung and Taiwan Semi to build more plants here. That's been our strategy, or anywhere for that matter. Or we can roll up our sleeves like Operation Warp Speed. Remember today, I have to put it because I want everyone to get tested. I roll up my sleeves. I got, I got jab right here. We can roll up our sleeves and get this job done ourselves. If we're supposed to be the most powerful country on Earth, we need to be able to manufacture our own semiconductors, for heaven's sake. It's our industry. So let me tell you what needs to happen. You might not know it, but America's best tech industry, the most intellectual property that is anywhere in tech, is in the semiconductor capital equipment space. That's LAM Research, KLA Tencor, Applied Materials. And they have machines that we need to make chips. Meanwhile, building gigantic semiconductor foundries can put more people to work than just about any other infrastructure project, much more than, an, much more than a highway, than a bridge. Why stop at roads and bridges when we reestablish ourselves as a whole new kingpin in a manufacturing industry that we used to dominate. 
And hey, Biden's pick for Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, she was a venture capitalist. She's governor of Rhode Island before she got into politics. She'd be the perfect champion for this project. We could take advantage of low interest rates to issue 50-year semiconductor savings bonds to raise the money for this project. Partner up with the private sector. Then these businesses can pay back Uncle Sam when production gets rolling. Auto chips, defense chips, all sorts of Internet of Things chips. They should be able to make this stuff domestically and the best in the world. Honestly, it's insane that we outsource our semiconductor manufacturing to Taiwan and South Korea when they're within spitting distance of our biggest rival, China. I love Taiwan. I love South Korea. But if we ever get into a shooting war with the Chinese, for heaven's sake, they'll be right in the middle of it. Hopefully it never comes to that. But why are we even taking that chance? How much would this cost? We know Taiwan semi spending up to $28 billion to boost its output, and they're very good at what they do. Let's say, let's, let's borrow $100 billion dollars in savings bonds to make the U.S. more semiconductor independent over the next few years. But we have to start immediately to alleviate the shortage. People intensive, national imperative, blueprint ready, customers dying for the product and suppliers ready to help. So, soon to be Secretary Raimondo, you've been on the show. Let's get the low interest chip bond going and put an end to this chip shortage, saving tens of thousands of jobs, giving the economy a huge boost. This is what we used to call industrial policy. It worked for vaccines, and I know it can work for chips, too. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.